Well, good morning, goodbye teens, and hello church, how are you? Hope you're having a great Sunday. Uh, for those who are uh, visiting, we want to welcome you to the Shoreline Church of Christ. It's great to have you with us this morning. Thanks for taking a morning out of your day to spend with us. Uh, my name is Gio Garces. Uh, I'm the evangelist here. And today, if you're visiting, we've been covering the book of Luke in our Sunday sermon series. And really, really diving into the book of Luke... Uh, really getting involved and understanding, you know, who this book was written to, why it was written, uh, some of the things inside this book that are written, how they pertain to you, how they pertain to your life. And to the ears of, of those who would hear this message, it was those who are outside of the, the Jerusalem Jews or the Jerusalem uh, synagogues. These were the people that were the outsiders. They were not... The insiders, they were, they were not, they were God-fears maybe, but they were not included in the process. And so the book of Luke really, really sends a clear message that the salvation that God has brought through Jesus is for the Gentiles to know that they too are included in the promise. You ever get picked last on a kickball team? I know the feeling. Do you, ever, do you ever know your spot in the picture for team pictures that if you're the short guy, you're on the bottom left? That's just your spot? I know that feeling. I mean, we all have instances in our lives where we were the odd man out. We just didn't fit in. We were just a little bit different than everybody else. We didn't fit into the norm. And if you're reading the book of Luke, you relate to being on the outside. You relate to being last getting picked on the kickball team in the schoolyard. And so the Gentiles are promised the same salvation as the Jewish people. And what's, uh, what's cool is that the author of the, of, the, of the letter, the author of the book, is the only New Testament writer that's a Gentile that was on the outside. And he actually is one of the authors of two books in the Bible. I mean, the message it's sending is like, hey, God has come for all people. Not just one race, but all races, all nations, all people can come to God. And to know that the Bible is written by one of the outsiders himself, the guy who got picked last on the kickball team, actually got to author and pen through the Holy Spirit, the Bible itself. What a message. What a message it's sending to the people that got to hear this message. You know, some things to highlight in the book as we get to uh, each chapter, there are a few things that, are, that stand out that are in, in no other gospel but the gospel of Luke is the story of the prodigal son. It's found nowhere else but Luke, and it deals with uh, the rebellious sons or, or the Gentile audience. The good Samaritan. You know, Samaritan was someone who was half Jewish and half Assyrian. They didn't fit in. They didn't, weren't even allowed to be on the kickball team. They were excluded. And here's a story about the good Samaritan. And the promise to the thief on the cross, who again, was an outsider, was a Gentile, deserved death, deserved what he got. 
and Jesus saved him at the last moment. These are just some of the accounts just to illustrate that this book was written for us. Because after the Jewish beginnings of Jesus, the church really became a Gentile church, predominantly. They went, into out, they went out into the whole world, the ends of the earth, to spread the gospel of Jesus. That's why we do it. That's why we're disciples today doing the very same things that they're doing. That's how Joseph was met on Moore Park campus. He was invited to a Bible discussion. He came and studied the Bible. Because the message is not just for us to keep, it's for us to spread. And that is the message of Luke. So we're going to go into just a little bit here in the book of Luke. Let's turn to our Bibles in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And let's look at some of the extraordinary things that are happening with the birth of Jesus. We, uh, John the Baptist is about to be born as well. And we go into some details now how Jesus the Messiah was born and where he was born and why that's so important. And this includes a lot of the Old Testament prophecies that are predicted about this Messiah to come. In verse 1 of chapter 2, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. You know, this census that the Roman emperor decreed was actually fulfilling an ancient prophecy that the Messiah, because Nazareth, where they were at, was about a hundred plus miles away from Bethlehem. And you had, a, you had a woman that was in her ninth month or tenth month of pregnancy. And as you all know, women who've given birth, we don't travel a hundred miles on a donkey to come down just to have a baby. There's got to be a great reason why we're moving from Nazareth to Bethlehem. What a great-hearted sister Mary was, huh? I mean, to, to, just to get your wife to go, honey, we've got to go down to Bethlehem. Can't we just cook the books? Can't we just fix the problem? Can't you just say you're from Nazareth? No, no I, I need to go back. The character of Joseph. The honesty of Joseph. I mean, God picked the right couple. And they traveled a hundred miles down to the city of Bethlehem. A small little town. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old, from ancient times, the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and how God used a Roman emperor to make that happen. But why does Luke mention the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus? Why is he in the book of Luke? Why, why a reference? You know, Luke, Luke's the only guy that references the emperors. Why is that? Well, on one hand... There's a picture of our stone statue of uh, Caesar Augustus. He was the emperor. Because the social setting of the book of Luke is important to understand. The setting is shaped by an imperial Roman empire. It's a legacy of worshiping the emperor himself. The cult worship was dominant in the area. Especially in the cities of Corinth and Ephesus. I was reading their Bibles. Two cities that really embraced emperor worship. And later this led to the persecution 
of the Christians under one of the following emperors named Domitian. He wanted people to worship him, and the Christians refused. Thus there was persecution. But where did that start? It started with his uncle. Who was the uncle of Emperor Augustus? Well, that was no other than Julius Caesar. Caesar Augustus ended a brutal civil war that was happening in Rome. In fact, that civil war occurred for over a hundred years. And he put a stop to it once and for all. And Augustus was actually named the Savior of the world. The Savior of Rome. But before he was Augustus, his name was Gaius Octavian. That's a funny name, but that was his name. And this Gaius Octavius, after the assassination of Julius Caesar on the Ides of March in 44 BC, he didn't know that Julius left him the throne. He was unaware. But also, it, le it, leaved, uh, it left an opportunity for one of Julius Caesar's generals named Mark Antony. He did not want Gaius Octavian to have the throne. He wanted to have the throne because he was older and he was a professional soldier. And so that, a civil war continued. And Mark Antony, as we know, went across the, the, the sea there to Egypt and, and, and got involved with a woman named Cleopatra, who was the pharaoh of Egypt. And they had children. And Mark Antony wanted to give those children the Roman provinces that were under Roman rule. And so Gaius Octavian went to war with Mark Antony in the Battle of Actium. He prevailed and defeated both Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Following the battle, Mark Antony put a sword to his, his flesh and killed himself. And Cleopatra committed suicide by allowing herself to be bitten by poisonous snakes. And so this gave rise and ended the civil war, ended a, a really a tumultuous event in the Roman, em in history of the Roman Empire. It ended because of, because of uh, Gaius Octavian. And so they gave him a new name, Caesar Augustus, the Savior of the world. So why is he mentioned in the Bible? Because Luke is trying to say, the audience is very familiar with the history. They know who Caesar Augustus is. And Luke is saying, there's another king that was born. You have this king, but let me tell you about this king. And he's mentioning this on purpose, by design. Because the audience knows. The audience was worshipping Caesar Augustus, the savior of the world. He was deified as an emperor. He was called the son of God. Future emperors, to secure their throne, wanted to be worshipped in the same way as, as uh, Caesar Augustus. And Luke is comparing the savior of Rome with the savior of all mankind. And he writes it in the book of Luke. Now it was very unwise and often fatal to directly confront the Roman emperor in writing. In fact, very few apologists actually confront that directly. Because if you confronted directly, you would find yourself dead. So that's why the writers, the Luke writer, he's just giving you a, a comparison. Here's Caesar Augustus, but here is Jesus. And later on in the Bible, in the book of Revelations, a lot of that, the, the wording there is veiled in apocalyptic language that the Jews and God's people would more understand than, than their imperial Rome. 
Because that was important. The direct confrontation was not necessarily a good thing. So in the book of Luke, the audience is fully aware of what Luke is trying to present. Hey, here's emperor worship, and here's this new king. And the, really, the choice is clear for you and I. Which king will you worship? Which king will they worship? Who will you give your allegiance to? You know, this, this city of Bethlehem was an important part because the story that Luke is telling that this this Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born in a city that was called Bethlehem. He came from the line of kings, King David. He was a savior, not just of Rome, but of the world. He was the true son of God. How do we know that? Because later in Luke, he says he rises from the dead. And Augustus is dead and is still in his tomb. So who is your savior? Who will be your choice this morning? Who will you pick this morning? Caesar? Self? Godlike? Self-glorifying? Self-seeking? Pleasure to please himself? Or Jesus? Humble, serving, compassionate, gives glory to God. Who is your Savior this morning? And why are you a disciple? How is that changing your life, knowing that Jesus is your Savior? Maybe you're worshiping yourself. Maybe you're Emperor Geo. Or Emperor, you put your name on it. I live by my own rules. I live by my laws. I break my laws and I make my laws. Which king do you worship this morning? Will working more hours at your job save you? Or getting a higher education going to save you? Is living your life for yourself going to save you? You see, it's what Jesus really matters. There is no other way for a man to get to heaven than through Jesus. And there's a clear choice that we all have to make. And Luke is presenting the choice. The audience knows about Caesar. He says, look at Jesus here. Look at this king. Humble beginnings. A servant. Outside the mainstream. As we would say in a podunk town like Bethlehem or Santa Paula. <laughs> as the wedding of Caleb and Sashiko yesterday. People were like, were like really tripping out that, you know, Santa Paula had cows and tractors. You know, the brothers came from Orange County. They weren't expecting little Bethlehem in our, in our little county. There's trains going by in the city. There's cows and guys on tractors. I mean, you, you drive, you know, past Santa Paula, you miss it. You'll drive right by it. It's great to see Caleb and Sasha go get married, though, wasn't it? It was a fantastic wedding of two disciples who Jesus is their king, coming together to be married. After that ceremony, I quickly left, got in my car. That's very rude to do after you, you do the ceremony, is to leave. Uh, but I had another wedding to do. And that was of David Bonilla, the son of Manny and Javita. Their son got married in Studio City at 3.30. And it, just to see him get married. He used to be in, uh, in my teen ministry when I was a youth minister here in the church. 
to see him grown up was something else. Let's look in verse 4 together. We have two clear choices. Which Caesar will you choose? So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave her firstborn a son. And she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room there, there in the inn. You know, this account is in no other gospel but the gospel of Luke. And the birth of the Son of God in a cave, animal stall, a manger. Unlike Caesar, who was born in a royal line, Jesus was born in a manger. Humble beginnings. And there was no room. There was no room. You know, a lot of the readers here feel like, there's no room for me in this church. How do I fit into church? I don't go to church. And when you come to church for the first time, it feels a little bit strange and awkward, does it not? Yeah. Like, who are these people? Yeah. Why aren't they mean like everybody else on the outside? What's so different about them? You know, Bethlehem means the house of bread. And later on, in John, we know that Jesus is the bread of life. Interesting connection. You know, the history of Bethlehem, Luke ties in. It was the burial place of Rachel, the wife of Jacob. It was the setting and the backdrop for the book of Ruth, ladies. David's father, Jesse, was from Bethlehem. Samuel anointed David at Bethlehem. David watched the sheep at Bethlehem. And, but he was not born in Jerusalem. You know, you think of a king, the son of God, he should be born in Jerusalem. That's where it's happening. That's where the action's at. That's where you're supposed to be born. But he's born in Bethlehem. The emperor born in the Roman Empire. Prestigious. Glorious. Jesus born in a manger. Son of God. Humble beginnings. Outside the mainstream. You know, for a Gentile who was looking from the outside in, this is something he could relate to. I relate to Jesus. I relate to the King. You know, we appreciate you visiting our church this morning, if you're visiting for the first time. And we know it could feel a little awkward, but we're the outsiders too. We haven't, we haven't got everything all figured out yet. We're a church that is learning and growing every day. How to relate how to connect, how to grow spiritually, how to live for God. And we know if you're here visiting, you're looking for something different. You're looking for something to grow in, something to learn. You've come to the right place. You know, the book of Luke is letting the Gentile world know. And just so you know, we are the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, then you are Gentile by default. But that's okay. We like that. Because we just made the kickball team for Jesus. Jesus came to save all of us. But are you letting the world know 
that Jesus came to save them too? I mean, what are you about? If you're a disciple here today, what are you about? What are your convictions? Where's your humility? What are you about? About self? Because self is the emperor. Selfless is Jesus. How are you doing as a disciple? You know, in Philippians, Paul writes this about Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God in heaven becoming a man. The Bible says he was tempted in every way like us. It did not sin. The Bible also says in Hebrews 5, 7 that loud cries and tears he cried to the one who could save him. You think being God was easy? It said loud cries and tears. When you pray, are you loud? When you pray, are you crying? You ought to. That's how Jesus made it. You don't make it to heaven just by coming to church. That's a myth. And I'm sorry to break that to you here on Sunday. Coming here does nothing to save you. Because that was, if that's the case, then everyone's going to be saved. And the Bible says the road is narrow and few find it. It's hard to go against the grain. It's hard to go counterculture. It's awkward going to Moore Park College and inviting people to Bible talk. And I know, and I tell them, this is awkward, I know. I know this is awkward because I'm a stranger asking you to come to this Bible discussion and I'm twice your age. It's awkward. I understand that. Because it is. It's a little bit awkward to invite someone to something. Because you're afraid of their reaction. Are they going to give you a no, hurt your feelings? Are they going to ignore you? Are they going to say yes and never show up? There's so many things that can go wrong. But our role is to plant and water. And God makes it grow. God made himself nothing for us. God came to serve us. God came to die for us. So I ask you again, what are you about? Why do you come to church? And these are the questions that you need to ask yourself. Who am I? Who am I? In verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Why are the shepherds in the book of Luke? Again, they were the outsiders. That was a very low position in society. 
Shepherds weren't on top of the food chain. They were on the bottom. And they got to hear the message from an angel. You know, the angel says, listen, there's a king over here. And guess what? You're in on it. You're in on the news. You're the first to know about this guy over here. Well, you're thinking, well, what about the Magi? The Magi's come two years later. They don't get to see Jesus in the manger. They saw Jesus in the house. He was two years old. These guys were the first ones to see the king, the savior of the world. And they were the outsiders. They didn't go to the priests. They didn't go to the Sadducees. They didn't go to the Pharisees. They came to the shepherds. Because God came for you. It's not the health that you need a doctor. It's sick. When I'm sick, I go to the doctor. When I feel my life is empty, I went, to, I went to God. I went to Jesus. When I became a Christian, I was at a low point in my life, but on the outside, I looked, it looked awesome. On the outside, I was the captain of the soccer team. I said it again, I know. <laughs> but on the outside, I was, things were looking good. Friends, soccer team. But inside, I was dying, shriveling, losing my belief in God altogether. I thought I was unsavable. And here came a disciple. Here came a guy who invited me to Bible talk, which I refused to go. Because I refused, he did a Bible study with me on the spot. <laughs> I asked you, what are you about? Are you about just, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm just going to share if they say no, I'm, not, I'm never going to do it again? What are you about? I said no. He said, let's do a study. I said, okay, I guess. He pushed it to the next level. He wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't rude. He just had conviction that i never seen before in anyone's life. He had conviction. And because he pushed a little bit, I responded. You know, David was also held in lower status. The house of David, King David. When they came looking for a king, his dad showed him every one of his sons except David. Are oh, you looking for a king, Samuel? How about Eliab? How about this guy? These guys must be your king. He's like, and he's like, none of these are the guys. And then Samuel goes, are these all your sons? He goes, well, I got one more. Just watching the sheep over there in Bethlehem. Can't be him. The outsider. You. And he was the king. This was Bethlehem. The shepherds can relate to that. You know, there was a prejudice against the shepherds. It's not kind of a job you wanted. And again, Luke writes to an audience that understands that. They can relate to the shepherd. You know, later on in the book of Luke, Luke writes that Jesus is the good shepherd. Hey, I'm the good shepherd. I care for the sheep. I carry them away from danger. Because remember the good news that the angels brought was for everyone. All people. You know, I grew up in a church where I saw a lot of Latin people. That's all I saw was Latin people. We had the token, you know, alternate races there. One or few, we had two of them or one of them there. But it was a majority Latin church. 
I was floored when I came to this church. There's white, Latins and blacks, Asian. It was amazing. You know, today we had our campus minister do some of the things that service today. You know, sometimes this campus can feel like they're on the outside. But I tell them, no, you're on the inside. We're all together. I know you hear a lot about the campus. because We really never had a big campus ministry in Shoreline. But we're, going to, we're starting one. We're doing it. For those of you that grew up in a campus ministry, you know how exciting it is to be part of a group that's your age, that's excited about God. How exciting that is. And when they're, when they're on campus, you feel like you're the outsider. You're the guy that's, you know, not like them. You're different. And you stick out like a sore thumb. When we have invitations, people think it's going to like a house party. We're like, no, it's Bible talk. <laughs> You're on the outside. You know, in verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, there is a privilege. What a privilege it was to see the birth of Jesus. Man, I would have loved to have been there. A privilege of seeing what these men got to see. The honor they received, not from society, but from God himself. Lowly men who were the first witnesses to see Jesus. You know, the church in the, in the, in the Bible was not comprised of the noble, but of the ignoble. The noble didn't respond as much as the ignoble. The regulars, the peasants, the poor. They understood humble beginnings. They understood that self-worship was not what they wanted. And we live in a society today that's all about self-worship. If you got a video camera and you can make a complete fool out of yourself, you might be famous. And you might turn into a millionaire. We live in an age where it's all about self. And we watch their shows, do we not? We get a kick watching self-worship. Reality TV is not truly reality TV. Whenever you put a camera in someone's face, it's not really reality anymore. Reality is when the camera's turned off. That's when reality is. Let's not be blinded by our culture and the self-worship that's so prevalent. What these shepherds did is they saw Jesus and they quickly went out and spread the word. They quickly went out. 
Do you feel honored to go and spread the word of God? Do you feel honored? Do you feel privileged? Do you feel the honor? You should. You should feel that honor. I have the honor and privilege of sharing my, the gospel, the life of Jesus that I know with others. Too many times we're ashamed of doing that. That's why I ask you, who are you? Who do you serve? Who is your king? It is an honor and a privilege to share my faith. Yeah, I got to shake off the funny feelings, but it's a privilege. At the end of the day, I'm going, man, it's not, it's not me who's doing it. It's God working through the situation. I open my mouth and people come to Bible talk. We feed them nothing. We give them no water. We give them zero. And they come because God is working. Do you feel privileged to have your Bible talks this week? Yes. An honor to go and share your faith. Yes. To share about the gospel of Jesus. Because you have an opportunity to spread the gospel. But you have to decide who you are today. You have to make that decision. Who are you? What do you stand for? Who is your king? And are you ashamed of that king? Because Jesus is very clear. If you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. He is very clear. Very clear. You cannot be his follower if you're ashamed of him. He will not accept you. Those are pretty strong words. You know, after three years of being in the ministry of Jesus, there was, only, there was 120 people. You'd think there would be thousands, but just 120. He didn't just want churchgoers. He wanted followers. And from that 120, it changed the whole world. Changed everything. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, then live as such. If you want to learn to be a disciple of Jesus, study with us. But you have two choices. The king of self or the king of all people. Thank you for your time this morning.